Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity. Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain, but we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door. Hi, welcome back to our podcast, The Ugly Truth About the Girl Next Door. I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. And today we are going to address and talk about the number one question that we get asked all the time. I mean, if I think at least once to twice a week we yes, get asked this question. Often. And um, we understand the question. When We understand. The yeah. question is... Where is law enforcement? <laughs> All the time. And sometimes, mostly what we are hearing is it's a question of like, oh my gosh, what, we got to get law enforcement on this. This is terrible. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, mm, okay, and where's law enforcement then? Right. No, yeah. It's a it's a loaded question, honestly. Yes, absolutely. Some people are asking it like, holy crap, does law enforcement know about this? And if not, they should. Um, and some people, yeah, it's definitely loaded. But it's a it's a question that because it's so loaded, we really haven't addressed at all because, I mean, we've talked here and there about law enforcement involvement and that there's ongoing things. Um, <clears throat> so, but like addressing it publicly has been really tricky because uh, we don't want to do anything that, like we don't, we don't want to say the wrong thing and then have anything be weird. Yeah, or impeded or, like, anything, yes. right? We, we have to be careful. We have to be very careful, yeah. Um, and so, but the question, hap- we get asked this question all the time, and there's been some recent events that have kind of sparked the conversation between us about where is law enforcement and what does that even look like? So here we are today to talk about it. Um, so we will high level what my journey has looked like with law enforcement because certainly I've had <clears throat> my own um, journey. <laughs> the nicest word to way to say it I guess mm-hmm. um yeah and then you know we also want to just talk about kind of why that's the wrong question to be asking not to be like rude to the people that have asked it but also just it kind of is the wrong question to ask me Survivors. to ask a survivor yeah. yeah um and then we want to circle back and kind of talk about some more recent events that have been going on um So we also want to point out that our mission at this point is beyond law enforcement. We, um, you know, we have tapped that well. (laughs) And And tapped it and tapped it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We're grateful to a lot of people that have come to us and said, hey, I know somebody in this branch of law enforcement. Maybe you want to talk to them. Um, We're grateful for that 100%. And we have reached out to many of the people that that have been brought to our attention. Um, and we're going to talk about kind of the issues with that and the, the challenges, the complexities. Yeah. Um, but at this point in my journey, we are, we're, we're beyond that. We are, this is the thing that brought us to the strength in numbers and to starting a podcast and to, um, you know, getting help from the public, the court of public opinion and Mm -hmm. the public eye. Um, these are the things that brought us to that place. So I guess just 
kind of a, a disclaimer that we are not doing this episode as like a help us get help right. from law enforcement. Like, so we very much appreciate the people who have done that, who have brought information to us. Okay, we're pausing because I just had to steal a toy from Silas because he's trying to shred it. And try to. He okay, did. I know. Oh my goodness. And then he tries to eat Did you eat things. it? He ate a I feel piece. Like he ate it. it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, thank you Silas so much for the little interruption. Okay. Um, so where were we? Yeah, so we're not like again, this is not a help us right. get law enforcement's attention. We have been down this road. There is so much complexity to this case. Um, that we will talk about and there is so much to be said about the system for survivors and what that looks like so that's kind of where we land today we also want to say we have great respect and appreciation for the boots on the ground people the people in law enforcement in the legal world that are trying to deal with criminals and manage that and if this is not a personal insult to those who are Mm-mm. doing their best to work within a very messed up broken system to provide help to victims and survivors and to bring justice about yeah. this is not a criticism of every person in law enforcement or every person working in the judicial system this is the system itself from a very high level is distorted on behalf of <clears throat> the criminals it's also not just distorted for me right that's what we also want to point out today that I am not the exception here that there is so many cases and so many things in the system that are working against, you know, this idea that we all have. We all have this idea of what's on TV, right? Olivia Benson comes in. She's an amazing detective. She finds the perpetrator in 48 hours. They take it to jur- you know, to trial. They try the case. Yes. Do the, you know, that's not that's not even a little bit real. <laughs> like that's that's not how that goes. Um, so that's really what we what we want to point out today. So very high level, very, very, very high level. Um, my journey with law enforcement. So, uh, my father owns a business on Grand Island. Um, he's very close with several law enforcement officers on Grand Island in Erie County. He is close with people at border patrol. Um, he has worked on many of their vehicles, both their professional vehicles, like their, their, what are they called? Squad cars. That makes sense. I don't know. (laughs) Car fifty two or whatever that. No, is. there's like a name for it. Okay, if you know Their the name, official law enforcement vehicle. Us. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> he worked on die when he hears this. <laughs> he worked on their both their official law enforcement vehicles as well as their personal vehicles. Um, so I guess the way to sum that up is when I got a speeding ticket on Grand Island when I was sixteen. My dad knew almost every single officer when we so walked. Wait, you only got one speeding ticket? Shh. Okay. Nobody asked. Okay. My dad knew like pretty much every single police officer when we walked into the court. He knew the prosecuting attorney. Um, literally, the town judge was like a friend of his. And the current Grand Island town judge lives across the street from him. <laughs> so, um he walked in and immediately got the ticket thrown out, and that's kind of how he functions in the world. Um, Kevin Backus, my uncle, um, who's also an offender, is also a deputized chaplain with the Erie County Sheriff's Office. His was. We don't know. We don't know what his current status is, but at the time, right, he was. Um, so 
that's that. <laughs> right. Like there was a, well lot, connected. a lot of entanglements. Right. A lot, so, a lot of entanglements. Yeah. So again, that's not really, that's specific to me and to my case, but I also think that it's not uncommon for offenders to, again, place themselves in situations to um, be in areas of spaces of life where they have that kind of influence, where they have friends in high places, right? Or they are in high places themselves. Absolutely. Um, okay, after my disclosure uh, at CCA, in which I named my father, said my father was sexually abusing me, CCA handled it so incredibly wrong. They brought my father in and put me in a room with him to confront my offender when I was 12 years old um, without any professionals in the room. Um, I then recanted and said that the abuse was taking place with my uncle who had moved to Minnesota. Um, that was not untrue. My uncle was also part of my abuse and also was someone who abused me, but was not the whole the whole of the story. Um, but after that disclosure where I said my father is sexually abusing me and also now I'm saying my uncle is sexually abusing me, uh, no police were called. So no report filed, no CPS, nothing. Um, instead, my parents flew me out to Minnesota to, again, as a 12-year-old, the public story was to face my uncle, to confront my abuser as a 12-year-old with only my parents with me. Even though somebody in your life at that point was aware that you were panicky about that trip mm-hmm. and you were begging your parents not to take you and they ignored that. Right. Nobody did anything there. Right. <laughs> um, obviously, the trip to Minnesota was not to confront my abuser. It was a scenario in which I was then basically offered up to him to, um, ugh. yeah, sorry. Okay. Okay. Because they were mad that you had named anyone and he was mad that you had named him. Mm-hmm. And so now there was, you were in trouble. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it was that. Um, okay. Fast forward to high school. I was assaulted really brutally around the death and the funeral of my grandfather, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. Assaulted um, by people involved in the abuse. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just for clarity. Multiple offenders. This is not random. No. My uncle, who did live in Minnesota, did come into town, um, which, again, the public story was that he was not supposed to step foot in New York State, that he was not supposed to come to the funeral. Nobody knew he was coming, right. supposedly. Um. But he did come, as did many people who abused me um, throughout my life because of this kind of ritual surrounding the death and funeral of my grandfather. Um, so I was brutally, it was a, I, I can't even really go there, but it was a really, really, really terrible. Um, Physically impactful. Yeah. Um, several days of sexual assaults, abuse, physical, you know, really, really bad. Um, I, after that, I disclosed that this had happened to a friend. Why? Because I was a mess. I was an absolute disaster. Um, I was a mess. I was physically a mess, emotionally a mess, mentally a mess. Um, my friend asked what was wrong and I was 17 and I couldn't hold it anymore. Yeah. Um, so I disclosed this to a friend The friend then, you know, she's 17 as well, told her mother, who then called my mother, Um, which, again, is kind of one of those things with family controlled trafficking or when the family member or caregiver is the abuser. That's 
that's the cycle. That's the, they're concerned about the child, so they call the parent. But when the parent is, you know, you get it. Um, <clears throat> so now since this was kind of outside of their sphere of control, because another parent who was not in the church and not mm-hmm. in their control, my mom didn't even know this woman. Like my parents weren't friends with my friend's parents at this point. Um, this was outside of their sphere of control. They kind of had no choice but to file a police report. I was in public school at this time. Um, there was eyes kind of watching. Um, so in order to not look nuts, right, they had to call the police. Good news, though, my dad knows all the police. <laughs> so uh, my father called the Erie County Sheriff's Office. The deputy that came to take the report was a friend of his. Um, I since, within the last year, have obtained a copy of that report, which was extremely eye-opening. And um, just to read it in black and white was, like, everything that I always knew, but, like, there it is written, um, was really... I don't even have great words for what that was like, but I did obtain a copy of the report. Um, it it basically is my dad doing all the talking. It, it states in the report, father states, father states, you know, repeatedly. It's He's the complainant. He's the one filing the report. Um, it also states that my father told the officer, who, by the way, was one of his friends, to come back over the weekend to speak with me as I was not ready um, to speak with the with the police officer. So what that means is that, once again, I had to face the music of telling anybody that anything was wrong. But first they had days before the interview to remind you of why you couldn't talk about it. Right. And then days to prep for that interview. And what were we going to say? So the officer came back over the weekend. My parents sat at the kitchen table with me um, while I was interviewed. And I was never interviewed alone I was interviewed at the Child Advocacy Center in Erie County and was told I was in a room um, with a a detective and the detective told me as a way of of comforting me, I think. But again, given the circumstances, said, you know, don't worry on the other side of the two way. What is it? Two way mirror. um, Your parents are on the other side. So don't worry. Like they're right there was kind of his. Thing, but again, that's not, he didn't understand the whole situation. Um, so since then, you know, it, it was that that case was then kicked to Minnesota because the named offender was living in Minnesota. I don't know what to say. There's no conclusion really to the police report. It's a really bad, badly written um, report. It doesn't have, it doesn't say like, anything it just says that they then referred it out to minnesota and that was that um since that point so that was high school um multiple different law enforcement agencies have been involved including um the fbi the fbi was involved both when i was a kid and then again when i was an adult um i was as a kid not interviewed alone i was i was alone with the agent in my living room and my parents were sitting in the adjacent room in the kitchen with no doors. (laughs) So like alone, but not alone. And again, I was extremely prepped for these things in very abusive and physical ways in which there was no way to, um, it was so, there was so much conditioning that went into doing this. And again, it was all for the public story. We called the police, we called the FBI, we called, you know, that was the public story. Um, 
Erie County Sheriff's Office has been involved, Liberty University PD. Again, let's talk about the fact that Liberty University and their police department face Title IX lawsuits right now due to their handling of sexual assault. So, like, what do we really think that looked like? Um, again, as an adult, the FBI again, um, multiple different law enforcement agencies, lots and lots of experience walking down this road. And to be honest, every time we walk down this road, I think, okay, this is it. Like, this is the time. And especially most recently, you know, having done how many years of therapy and having really processed the boxes. And And being prepared. Like, what you've always told yourself is, it's my fault because I wasn't telling the whole of it. Right. Now I'm prepared to tell the whole of it. It's maybe going to be different now. Right. Right. Only not. Yeah. So I guess what is the issue is, um, and that's what we really want to talk about today, um, statutes of limitations. Thank you, New York State. We have, you know, one of the worst states with statutes of limitations. It's it's so short. Um, the average age of disclosing sexual abuse is 52 years old. For every single person that that's their reality, the statute is over. There There is no prosecution because there's no statute. Um, there's also jurisdiction issues because the abuse took place kind of all over the place. And like, I live in Niagara County now, but I lived on Grand Island as a kid. And then I moved to Virginia and I was in DC. Like there's all this jurisdictional issue. Um, there's also an issue of cooperation among various agencies. Who's in charge, right? Um, the Grace investigator who again said, I a hundred percent believe you. He's been a law enforcement agent for decades. He's retired now, but yeah. Um, looked at the police reports that I handed him and said, what kind of conclusion is this? There's no conclusion. It's it's garbage. Um, New York State police were involved at one, you know, most recently, and they said the same thing. Um, Where's the conclusion? Yep. This officer, this detective that we spoke to said, I would never allow one of my detectives to turn in a report like this. It's not complete and there is no conclusion. Um, you know, the FBI... <laughs> That's a, a million dollar question. Um, still trying to get records from that. I've been trying since October. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then the most recent comment was due to the nature of the allegations, it's very complicated. No, the nature of the files. Ah. Yeah, it's mm. complicated. Mm. Um, I did reach out. I did a FOIA request for the FBI records because there are, you know, FBI records. I was told that there's 879 pages of records. Shocker. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it would take 67 months for them to process and get them to me, which mm-hmm. I don't math, but I did do that math on my phone and it's five and a half years. So mm-hmm. um, that's been a whole cluster that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> um, but yeah, so lots of jurisdictional issues. Who's really in control? Who's really in charge? What is even happening? Um, so many different things to be said there. Um, interestingly, we were working with the FBI in 2020 as the threats were amping up and, um, I had broken, you know, all contact with my family and was now being threatened even more so like I had already been, but I was even more so. So we started working with the FBI and the child victims act was actually in effect in New York state, which was never mentioned to us, um, Right. So an opportunity to potentially file civil lawsuits for the things that happened before I was 18. Um, And that window has now closed. So anyways, um, there have also been so many players and offenders across the decades of abuse, which is obviously documented by the several police reports that have been filed. Um, 
but that leaves with major jurisdiction issues. So, so I feel like I have to comment because again, we're done going back and forth with the church, but again, the church keeps putting out there. Well, you know, she says there's these police reports and, but we contacted Erie County and they say they have no record of an ongoing investigation. Except that I have the police report. Right. So, so. Yeah, that's a little garbage. And honestly, I had to really, when they put that out there and said, you know, that that was that that way, it was impulsively I wanted to post or talk about, you know, right. I have to tell everybody what we, I mean, we have been working with law enforcement. We have our law enforcement. Like, how could they possibly say this? I want to post the email from the FBI that says it'll take 67 months. And I had to just kind of breathe. And Lori had to talk me off a ledge. <laughs> we talk each other off periodically. Yeah. Um because I don't owe that to anybody. And that's just more of my personal um, experience and more of my, it just takes more of my energy to do that. And like, that's not, that's, anybody can do a FOIA request and the law enforcement agencies can tell you whatever they want to tell you in a FOIA request. So it kind of doesn't mean anything. Um yeah, I had to really talk. I had to really get off that ledge. Well, again, we've come back to this place of saying like, well, you know, if they have not recognized what it is that we've been saying by now, they're not going to. But right. just for the public awareness, right, the the um, inconsistency between the statement that they're putting out there and the reality of the actual reports that we have in our possession, like you kind of can't argue it. But Right. Yeah. No, it doesn't even make sense. Right. Um, there's also like... <laughs> I wasn't alone in any of these situations in which I was dealing with law enforcement. Um, my youth leader from high school was aware of and walking through some of the law enforcement, you know, encounters in high school. Lori and I have been walking through the current law enforcement encounters. Um, the Grace investigators also encountered, I mean, my husband, my husband's family, like, it's not right. like, oh, I'm just telling people that I called law enforcement and I didn't like, that's not. Right. I feel like that's what the church is trying to say. And that's insanity. So, right. but they are insanity. So I can't right. reason with crazy. So we know that that is a broken system. And we're also over here with law enforcement being a broken system. Yes. Okay. So I guess what we really want to talk about today is less of all of what I just breezed through because there's so much, there's actually, there's so much to what I just breezed through. There's so much complexity that is such a high level dumbed down, sugared down version of, uh, of what actually has happened with law enforcement. But the point that we're trying to make today is why asking where is law enforcement is really the, the wrong question and the wrong focus. Um, our system, our judicial system is super, super, super broken. Um, it's not set up to be victim centric and it's, it's really not designed to do what we all wish it would do or be on like what you see on TV. Um, a few examples, Alicia, who we interviewed, who's also a victim of family controlled trafficking. An FBI agent literally told her that she might just have to get over it with having, you know, pornographic pictures and videos of herself as a child out in the world that she might just have to get over it. Um, the Matt Ariza case that we talked about earlier, the victim took proper steps. She filed a police report right away. She had a rape kit done. They did a controlled phone call where the offender admitted to having sex with her. Um, and yet, where did our justice system fall? Right. He is still walking around free as ever, playing in the NFL, getting paid. Though? I don't know if he's currently playing. I don't know, but don't he's, he's walking around playing. free. He is free. Yes. 
Bless her heart, he wasn't playing. Right. So then that brings us to Nick D'Angelo, which we also want to comment on. So, okay, so Nick D'Angelo is a local Niagara Falls, New York lawyer. Not anymore because um, he recently took a plea deal just this week on eight felony sex crime charges involving three victims, one of whom was 16 at the time. Um, we also know that he was given youthful offender status when he raped another girl when he was in high school. Okay, so he um, started in high school and continued as a serial rapist, and it took, okay, so the initial sexual assault that he got youthful offender status for was 2009. This is now 2023. Right. Okay, make that make sense. Right. Okay, ha and oh, by the way, the more recent charges have been going on. I, I think the first one, I'll have to look and see, but I think it was 2016 was the, yeah, the most right. recent mm -hmm allegations right so shall we talk about what the consequences are for yeah. mr d'angelo so, as a result of this right just this week he took a plea deal which is I, I think also this is what's really sparking this episode today um just this week he took a, a plea deal for you know these eight felony sex crime charges not including previous ones um and he will serve six months in jail, which, as I read about this, is apparently the um, the six months of incarceration is the longest period of jail time possible under New York state law for people who also get 10 years of sex offender probation, which he did also get. He will be on a sex offender probation for 10 years. So you can get six months in jail and 10 years of sex offender probation. No more jail time. Six months for six eight months. felony sex crime charges. Right. He pled guilty to eight felony sex crime charges involving three different victims, one of whom was a child, and he gets six months in jail. Right. He was originally charged with Class B felonies. Um, that's what he was originally indicted for. Those would have required a prison sentence, but in the plea deal, they dropped it down to first-degree sexual assault, and that's how he ends up with six months and 10 years probation. That is messed up. He was also released uh, when mm. he was arrested. He was released out on his own recognizance. Um, even though he was accused of witness tampering, um, there's been multiple reports of dun, 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 him threatening the victims, right? Threatening the victims, um, anonymous phone calls to them, leaving texts. Yeah. Text. I mean, again, what kind of an idiot do you have to be right. that you put it in a text? Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, but. The judge decided that, sure, he's a safe person to be out on bail on his own recognizance. So, right. Um, yeah, he. Yeah. <sighs> so there was also an unlawful imprisonment charge based on some of the original allegations, which was dismissed in December of 2021 because that was no longer prosecutable because of the statute of limitations. Shocker. There it is. Statute of limitations. Mm -hmm. Thank you, New York State. Mm -hmm. Um, so essentially this guy is a serial rapist. He was also working part-time as a lawyer for the Department of Social Services. So Child again, protective people. He either mm -hmm. has people in high places or he is a purple person in high places. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was in local government, right? Paul, he was, yep, he was political. Yeah. Cause he had the, he also had a charge against him for, um, for what's the words I'm looking for? Campaign fraud. Campaign fraud, right. right. Because he uh, forged a donation to himself or to his campaign. <laughs> yep. For in 2021, in the name of the husband of the prosecutor in his rape case. Right. Which makes a ton of sense. So right. Again, how bold <clears throat> do you have to be? 
Like, but that's the thing, Lori, that I want people to hear is that like, I tell my whole thing about mm -hmm. law enforcement and I talk about how connected my dad is and I am not the only one up against this, right? Like, how? How is this our system? And yet it is. And I feel like the problem is, and not to like get hot here, but I feel like the problem is people go, oh my gosh, about Nick D'Angelo. He only got six months in jail. And tomorrow they turn around and ask me, where's law enforcement in your case? Where's law enforcement? What? <laughs> Look at how bad our system is. Right. Right? What is happening? Why Where is Bill is law Cosby? Enforcement? Why is Bill Cosby walking the streets? Exactly. Exactly. It's just it's like we know it, but we can't quite get there. It's like right. we know it for these these high profile cases, but what we are missing is that Honestly, this is too many victim stories. This is way too many victim stories where they've done the right things, they've talked to law enforcement, they have filed the police reports, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and the system fails them. That's That just is what it is. And by the way, we're not talking about the hell that victims, survivors have to go through oh, geez, to be deposed, no. to be uh, like basically attacked by yeah. opposing counsel to tell their story and tell their story and tell their story and tell their story for the reality of knowing that really what's the outcome going right. to be No, God, no, you're right. The hell, the absolute hell that they have to go through, right? Mm -hmm. uh, having law enforcement come and talk to you is one of the most, I, I don't know. Again, I'm not accusing law. I mean, there's, we have worked with some law enforcement agents who have been very excellent at what they do. Absolutely. They're working within a broken system and that's not their fault. Um, but it doesn't. It still is a hellish experience. Right. Google a rape kit. If you if you don't know what's involved in that, go Google it. Because honestly, like, it, ugh, after you've already been assaulted and violated, now you get to go through this. No other crime. There is no other crime in the history of crime that this is the case for it. Right. Tell me I'm wrong. No, you're not wrong. Absolutely. Um, right. so people say to us a lot of the time though, that the system is the way the system is because we don't want anyone falsely accused, which agreed. We have due process. We mm -hmm. have our judicial system, our checks and balances in place because yes, we don't want to be putting people in jail who have not committed a crime. 100%. Absolutely. However, the statistics that we have found show that one out of every 2.7 million men will be falsely accused of sexual assault. One out of every 2.7 million men will be falsely accused. But yet we act as if that's the complete upside down. Yes, we act as if it's only one in every 2.7 right. million that are actually guilty. Right. Which is insanity. Yes. So my question is, is Ed Asbeck that one in 2.7 million? Is Ron Cook, Cal Kern, Bill Cliff... Maybe Alicia's father, is he that one in 2.7 million or Matt Ariza or Nick D'Angelo? Are they all that one in the 2.7 million? Probably Doubt not. it. Probably not. And yet people ask, okay, but why are they not behind bars? Well, I, I, don't, I don't have an answer for that. Our system is absolutely broken. We keep saying it. If somebody broke into my house and... I w called the police and I was like, oh my gosh, it's, I know the guy. It's blah, blah, blah. The guy who lives down the street, he, whatever. And I named him and they went to his house and like talked to him and his story didn't hang together and he would go to jail. Right. Absolutely. And you wouldn't have to be put through right. all the things that sexual assault survivors are, have, are, are put through. Exactly. They would, they would just, yeah, 
That's not how that goes. That's what I'm saying. Name another crime that is like this. Um, so that's our episode about law enforcement, I guess. Yeah. Our next episode. Okay, I feel like, wait, before we say that, we have to say one more thing. It is, we are aware that the survivors of Nick D'Angelo's sexual assaults are feeling a great sense of relief and validation, for lack of a better word, because they finally got a some, guilty. A guilty, he's like, there are consequences for him finally. It has taken, what are, what is that, 14 years mm-hmm. since his initial assault. Yes. To all of the survivors out there who may or may not be listening, we celebrate with you mm-hmm. that something has happened that this guy is now going to be watched. He's got to give up his law license. You know, once you've got a felony charge against you, good luck getting a job. That's not easy. You know, yes, he is going to finally, thank God, be living with consequences for his actions. We are not disagreeing with that by any stretch of the imagination. What we're trying to address is that sexual assault is a violent crime. For somebody who is a serial rapist, six months, even with all the probation and all this registry, all of that, six months does not even begin to touch. Mm-hmm. What should happen to someone who is clearly lacking in any kind of conscience? Yeah. Like, it's not like he did one bad thing as a young person and learned his lesson, got help, and figured it out. That's still terrible. But this is a person who has been boldly just going about his business working in the in the legal system taking cases like Mm -hmm. acting like a a sociopath yep yeah and do we really believe that sociopaths stop do we really believe that a serial rapist isn't going to rape again right again i understand all the different things but is that what we think um which is our next episode right? right what does justice look like what does justice look like for me which i will share um, what about for others? What do, what do we hope, I guess, um, living in this world where, unfortunately, the system is is flawed? Um, you know, what do we hope, I guess? What's the goal? So that's our next episode, um, <laughs> unless something crazy happens, because you never know. <laughs> it could. Sometimes our episodes are really just driven by life. <laughs> so mm-hmm. not Like sometimes. this one? Most of them. Yeah, definitely like this one. We had a whole different thing planned, and then... This thing with Nick D'Angelo blew up and we were kind of like, you know what? And therein lies the problem. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about it. Um, So, yeah. Okay. That's that. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. You know, I know we've got a lot of people listening from other countries. So honestly, please comment. Send some comments to us about what that looks like in your country, in your neck of the woods, your state even. Um, Because we understand this is not a uniquely United States problem. Um, but we mm-hmm. understand that the way it manifests here may be different than other places. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to hear from from our our friends in Australia and New Zealand. <laughs> I mean, the other day I was looking at our analytics and I started scrolling. And you had to like scroll like four times mm-hmm. to get through all the countries represented who yeah. are listening. So it's mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing. But So thank you all for listening yeah, and going on this support. journey with us. All right. Stay tuned. If you or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P, to 233-733.